and welcome back to the Mason Jar Podcast. I am Karen Kern, the host of this eight-week episode series called Education is a Life, Creating Purposeful Culture in Your Home. This particular episode is the third in the series. We I did an introductory episode with Heidi White and Emily Hill where we talked about culture. We we discussed what culture in the home looks like. And um, you would, um, hopefully, you heard that. And if not, I encourage you to go back and listen to that introductory um, episode. And then I talked to Cindy McAllister about faith and how we can be purposeful about encouraging um, a culture of faith in our homes. And this particular episode is going to be on service, how we can purposefully create culture in our home that um, extends outward into our community, that we are serving our church family, our neighborhood, our extended family, whatever circumstances God puts us in that we can faithfully serve alongside our children. And um, and also within our families, um, do we have a spirit of kindness? Are we serving each other? Um, our children encouraged to serve each other in their in our families. And so today I have with me my dear friend, Christina Davis. Hi, Christina. Hi, Karen. And she's sitting across from me in this closet studio thing that we have. It's like a glorified closet, but we call it our studio. And so she's here with me today and um, looking forward to talking to her. And so I'm going to, first of all, have her introduce herself and talk a little bit about her um, children, and then I'll tell you why I asked her to be on this podcast with me today. Well, I'm Christina Davis. My husband is Trevor, and we have seven kids. Our oldest just turned 17, and our youngest is four, and we have five boys and two girls, and they are um, they are all lively, and we always joke that none of them are vanilla-flavored. Vanilla so it is quite a circus. It is a lively household, that is for sure. <laughs> Not quite. Um, so I asked Christina to be on this this particular podcast because she's the first person who came to mind when I thought about creating culture of service in our homes. And, um, and that is because um, when I arrive at church and my hands are full of stuff, Maybe I'm bringing food that Sunday, and, and I approach the door, and maybe I'm with my grandchild, and one of her boys are always the first to open the door, and that might be because she be because she has so many boys that chances are one of them is near the door, <laughs> but they're always eager to, to open the door and to help. They're always eager to do whatever needs to be done at coffee hour. Um, their family is always one of the first there at um at church and one of the last to leave. Their children serve um, behind the altar. They um, they help people move. So a family that they don't even know is moving into town and they're there with their big van and their big boys and they are helping and, and participating and getting to know people. And everybody knows the Davis family and loves them. And so when I thought about creating a culture of service, they're the, they're the ones who first came to mind. And so I am thankful that Christine is willing to, to help me today and to talk about this topic. And so I want to ask, my first question is, where did this all start? How did you become that family who, who helps wherever they can in, in whatever capacity they're available? Well, first, I have to admit that we have not always been that family. We um, There was a time when all of our kids were just so little that I felt like I just, sometimes I felt like I was drowning in diapers and preschoolers, babies, and I felt like I had my hands full. So I didn't probably pitch in. Well, I know probably is not the right word. I did not pitch in nearly as much as I do now. So there is a different season that we are in because um, of my seven kids, three are teenagers. And so they are definitely pulling their own weight more so. I mean, they are, they're very capable and it took a long time to get there though. So for a long time, I mean, I have friends who've known me in the previous years who haven't seen me in a while who would probably even be surprised because there was a long time where I felt like life was almost like hurtling downhill and trying to get my feet, uh, keep my feet under me, but things are just moving faster than I could catch up. So I wasn't always thinking 
far ahead. I wasn't preparing for a potluck that was a few days away. It was flying by the seat of my pants, and oftentimes it was survival. So now, as the kids have gotten older, I think we are just beginning to bear fruit from years of... Um, well, what we didn't even realize, maybe that we were planting some seeds along the way. And so Trevor and I have been kind of looking back and thinking, okay, well, what things did lead us here? Because some of them were not even conscious. Maybe they were even other people's investment into our lives and their um, their great example. We got to look around and see other families and their kids were a little older And having seen them, I thought, ah, that is beautiful. That is what I would love one day Mm. to begin to have. And let me just jump in here and and say that the very first podcast I did with Emily and and Heidi, that's what we talked about. We talked about how some of our culture is purposeful. We determine this is the kind of family we want to be. And a lot of it is subconscious or unconscious Mm -hmm. where, where we, something... Um, grows within our family and we look back and we say this is who we are but we don't always plan it and um, and so that's an example of how it's both yes um, and that there was something in another family that you saw and you said this is beautiful we want to be that family and you are that family and so um, <laughs> we yeah. are yeah we have been we've had the just it's been a blessing to see others come alongside us and show us what it should look like. And they oftentimes there were families that were so busy that we just had to step back and observe. We we knew that they were, you know, doing the best they could because with so and I'm thinking specifically some of my friends who had a lot of children and their kids were older and um I would look at them And I have to admit, too, having come to married life ill-prepared, I was not competent in the kitchen. I did not know how to cook. I didn't know how to boil an egg when I married Trevor. And we lived, you know, we just kind of lived day to day, eating out all the time. And so I was late. My learning curve has probably taken me longer. So I heard that the other night you had unexpected guests for dinner and you happened to have pot roast in the oven and you had a whole pile of extra people and I'm thinking wait a minute so Christina has seven kids and she made dinner for them which you know you do but then you actually even had extra food that you could serve other people so I want to know how you got from (laughs) not knowing how to boil an egg to be able to serve other people at the last moment because you were so well prepared that you could you could you know do that because you had a plan you had food and that's just kind of the way it is around your house so well i have to give credit where credit is due i did not make that dinner that was my 17 year old so well that's we what we talked about here so that's <laughs> awesome that just proves my point we have a partly because i have not always known how to cook and i've not really always enjoyed it i must admit i early people told me you have to Get your kids to pitch in, and you need to, um, well, maybe work yourself out of a job is kind of the idea. And so I started giving the kids just specific meals that they wouldn't um, make, and they have got a meal rotation. So my oldest son, Harrison, he's 17, he makes the pot roast in the Instant Pot, and we're not all that very... Variety is not as important to us as having a meal on the Mm -hmm. table. So he makes that pot roast once a week. And as long as I have the ingredients, he knows what to do. So we just had to do some quick, you know, multiplying of the bread, you know. (laughs) Okay, so at what age did did, you start that? Because that's a great example of how service within the home and teaching your child to serve each other, teaching your child to serve you, which a lot of mothers would feel guilty about, um, then expands to serving other people when you can open up your front door and invite them in. So that's that's wonderful. And how, at what age did your kids start to do that? Well, um, my kids did start pitching in and doing things like that at pretty young age because um, 
I have had my pregnancies have all been at least the first 18 weeks really rough and I couldn't keep much food down and it was all day long if it was if I was awake I was sick so I used to laugh at the term morning sickness because I was you know I think morning there's no morning about it it's you know it's all day long but my kids got to where they were running the show when it was we were in survival mode and I and I felt guilt I felt mom guilt about that you know they're having they're eating macaroni and cheese again but my older kids became so self-sufficient that then I was able to once I had my feet under me a little bit and my newborn is a little older was able to say okay well they can clearly cook and even my 13 year old Finn he would like to go to culinary school and so we let him experiment other kids they might some of my other kids just have their things that they make and so I let them you know my daughter Judah she's 12 she has taco Tuesdays and that is she's good with that she doesn't need to it to get any crazier than that and um and so my 14-year-old Corbin, he likes sushi, so he make he has sushi wow. nights. And it's just basic, simple sushi, but it is um, his, because he loves it. That right. was the thing he wanted to take on. So even my 10-year-old Christian, he has, um, he has a meal night that he makes in the Instant Pot, an entire chicken. And he has a simple recipe. It's on the fridge. It just says Christian's chicken, and he knows what that. to do with it. And um, so the reason... I mean, I guess that came about because I was just incapacitated for weeks at a time. And so they learned also through that, and I'm I see this now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, they learned to serve their younger siblings that way. So it was the blessing that came from the curse, or I guess the other side of the coin, where they learned how to cook for the younger ones and not even just to cook for them. But to look out for them, so you know there were. So it became to be easy to see when I was feeling better. Well, this works. If I, I just my goal is to be able to step out of it and it still work like a like a well oiled machine. I'm not saying that's real life. I'm just saying that's the idea. <laughs> so it came about, I think, through the process of me just being. And, you know, having my head hanging in a toilet for long yeah. periods of time. I can even remember when my husband was in the military, um, we lived overseas. Um, so he was a, a Navy helicopter pilot, but we lived on an Air Force base in Guam because they shared the airstrip with the Air Force. I can remember when Trevor was deployed and I was pregnant with my second son, Corbin, Harrison was less than two at this time. It was right before his second birthday. And I can remember being sick in the bathroom, hanging my head over the toilet, and Harrison is holding my hair back for me. Because he had seen that modeled, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he just, he, I can remember him helping me before he even really was aware. So, so would you say that some of this culture of service in your family stems from your husband? Because yeah. he is very service-oriented. Like if something yes. has to be done, if he's not at work, you know, mm-hmm. or in some way can't be there. He's there. Yeah. And I think that that also, maybe for us, it started in the military community and that culture. Because in the military, I mean, it is called military service. You, I mean, your entire life is using your strength to defend others or help them. But it, it, it goes beyond just what their day job was, in a sense. It's that community we saw um the kind of help, you know, we, we moved a lot, even when it was within the same town, we had to move a couple of times because our family was expanding. And um, the military doesn't move you at those times, your friends do. And the number of people that would show up to help on a day when you needed to move just because your wife is pregnant again, and mm-hmm. you're going three streets over, that was... That showed to us, this is what it should be like when you move. And um, um, at, since getting out of the military, when other people say, oh, well, we're having a moving day. If we can at all do it, it you know, if it's not during the nine to five work hours during the week, we try because we realize this is this is what we received in the military, the kind of help we've always had. And people just poured that into us and you want to turn around and and do the same for others and um and my and Trevor is um one of his favorite quotes it's a a Frenchman who's a 
I wouldn't say workout guru. He's an, a physical instructor, um, but he was from the mid 1900s. His um, name was George Haybert. It was be strong to be useful, and so that and Trevor has always loved that. He's like he wants to stay in shape, as most of my friends who you know, like Larissa's husband Buddy, mm-hmm. and um, they work out, but not just. For vanity, they work out so they can be strong, so they can serve others and help them. And we have all these boys, so it's a lot of a lot of manpower. So that's why I think we feel especially equipped for you know, helping people move or doing yard work or things that just need doing. Right. Um. So I'm I'm gathering from this that at one point in your early married life or early, you know, raising of children, you saw this being done in another family, you experienced it in the military, and you said, this is what we want to do. This is this is what we want to provide. This is the yes. part of community that we want to be yes. a part of. And, and I think community is a, is a part of that that can't be, you can't separate out that helping others and that that community. They, and I think, uh, I ta- you know, listening to my daughter, Larissa, whose husband is in the Army, um, it seems like that really is part of the of the culture. And she said, you know, she said, if if your car needs an oil change and your husband's deployed, then the next door neighbor who's not deployed comes yes. over and does it. And it's just part of, Absolutely. part of the whole community. And that's why they can all be so close and why you can move to an army base across the country and immediately have friends. Yes. Because you're, you're all you have. Yeah. And so you, you jump right in. She does, she is working on um, an eight week series on homeschooling in the military and what it's, what military culture is like for women. And so that's probably one of the, one of the topics that she'll touch on. Yeah, and that. I realize that there are some military spouses out there whose husbands all deploy at the same time. But when we were in Guam, I, maybe we were unique, but our husbands did not all deploy at the same time. You know, they alternated. So I knew any problem I had, which I, I can remember hosting a baby shower at my house in Guam, and the power went out, and I couldn't get my generator going. So, you know, other, my neighbor's husband runs over, and he's trying to get the generator going, and I can remember they would see that I'd gotten a yard ticket, and I needed my grass mode, mm-hmm. and so another friend's husband, um, my neighbor's Paul and Susan, Paul would run over and mow my grass, and, you know, this is while they're trying right. to do their day job and take right. care of their families, but they were all just doing whatever needed doing, and then when their husbands were gone, Trevor did that for whatever needed doing for them, and that was something I had, it was it was just wonderful. I've never seen anything like it. So it wasn't just something that you experienced in the military, it was formative. It was formative to you in your early years of of marriage and motherhood yes. and it and it you know has produced children who who are servers yes and yeah. um it, it really is it really is a beautiful a beautiful expression of kindness right because they're yeah. not just serving to get something back yes and they they know that you're you know you're gonna we're all in this together there was that and and just the work ethic that I guess we picked up just from you know that certainly Trevor has always had a work ethic of his own, and um, and I'm not saying that everyone in the military probably has a great work ethic, but I am saying that environment does um, has encouraged us over time to to have this can do attitude, and and my boys over time have have picked up. Um, hopefully, my girls too. I'm just my girls are a little younger, but they have. I think through many things, through the the community, also through things that we've read. There's a lot of things going in there, but I think the work ethic and the service, being service-oriented, go hand in hand. They do go hand in hand, don't they? Yes. I was was reading in the For the Children's Sake, um, Susan Schaefer-McCauley, this line, she says, um, life includes other people. Well, that is such an obvious statement, (laughs) but it... In her book here, it's got a line all to its own, and it's in italics. And she had to make it stand out because it's so obvious, but it's so, so important. And I think that that's one of the 
one of the um, benefits of having a large family is that you can't get away from that. There, there really is very little room for selfishness yeah. in a large family. And there is also, I have to say, there's a certain amount of, um, you need to be adaptable. It's kind of chaotic at times, but you have to make room for people. And um, so there are times in our lives when we've had to set aside our routine. And I love routine. I'm a big routine person. But we've had to set it aside for a time because someone needed us right then. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we have taken off school for a week because a family was needed their house packed up and they needed to be moved by the end of the week. And we have just said, okay, we're taking, we're going to have to take an early spring break because this is, this has got to be done. And how many people take a spring break early to help another family move? You know, that's a really rare attitude. And yet, you know, it's beautiful. And we want our kids to see that we have priorities. Like we, we've, our education, their education is very important to us, but their virtue is more important. Right. And so they're, you know, we want them to see that people are more important than our goals or our to-do list, our schedule. And, um, and I appreciate yeah. you bringing in the word virtue because that's central to the whole idea of the culture in our homes, you know, that that's ultimate. It's, it's that we want our children to not just work hard for work's sake, not so that people look at them and say what hard workers they are, but for virtue and because we want our we want our homes to be a place where our children are learning to be more like Christ, and they are they're learning that through um, um, imitating, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully imitating mom and dad, and that's what your kids are doing when they when they are you know. Um, serving other people, yeah. So and we fully. had we had people in our lives that met needs of ours when they saw it, and I feel like that we have not burden is not the right word. We just want to. We can't repay those people. They mm-hmm. are so far in our past, but we can. Well, it sounds cheesy, but we can well, pay no, it it's forward. Like paying, yeah, right. That's what I thought. <laughs> pay it forward. Sure. Yeah. Cause yeah. We, for an example, when we moved to Guam, um, base housing wasn't. They weren't ready, and the house wasn't ready for another two weeks. And someone we didn't even know, a young single. Airman in the Air Force. Um, his name was Dave. He said, "You know what? I live alone in a three-bedroom apartment. You bring your baby, and y'all just stay with me until that house is ready." And he did not know us, and we were we were just floored because he didn't know us. Another time when we moved, same thing. Our own apartment wasn't ready. And a friend of ours, um, single Navy guy, his mom lived in San Diego in town, and she said, "Just come live with me for a month until that until that apartment is ready." And because they did this, and they they were they opened their homes to us, now we we see we have this extra bedroom in our mm-hmm. home, and. We want we have an extra bedroom with seven children. Yeah, we call it the grandmother's room. <laughs> it's because we're trying to like lure our mothers to come and stay. Well, and with you us do more. have like five boys in one room. That's true. Yeah, we, that is, and that's an yeah. actually and there, an there's important another, you know example of serving each other. Yes, because they can't say that mess isn't mine. Right, and there's an important there's kind of a conviction behind that. Um, because we're so well off as Americans, and I was raised, I had a small family, my husband had a small family, we were growing up, we had our own room, but we also, along with that, we had a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. This is my space, you don't cross that line, especially towards our siblings, but I must admit I was Mm -hmm. probably that way towards my parents sometimes. And now we, we see that if our children are always in their life, they, they're sharing a room, which is what everyone in our family, without mm-hmm. exception, is sharing a room. Um, my girls share, my boys share. That, I think, goes into this uh, this being adaptable to the people around you and not, you know, insisting on my right to have my own this, my own that. So we're, we, we want that them to be tolerant of the, you know, we're always rubbing up against each other, iron sharpening iron. And so that, I feel like it's important to be tolerant of others, always living alongside people. So um, what do you do with Lucy? 
So Lucy's your youngest, <laughs> and every family's going to have a youngest eventually. Mm-hmm. And so do you do you know do you find that in this whole um topic of work and service that she might be, because she's so cute and she has all these big <laughs> brothers yeah. is she a little you know do they kind of treat her like a princess do they kind of carry her around and serve her because she's so cute and yeah. how do you you know she's four right mm-hmm. so how how do you think you're going to handle that as she gets a little older you know, yeah. and your family dynamic will change because your oldest kids will go off. They'll go off to college. And by the time she's a teenager, she might only be like the last one at home. I know. And then like, is she going to have dinner night? <laughs> or are you going to say, oh, let's go out because there's only three of us. You know, like yes. how, how do you how do you anticipate keeping this going for your youngest one or two? I admit this is a problem that we see and we're thinking, uh-oh, there's no little one coming along behind her to, and our word for it is dethrone her. Mm-hmm. And we worry about this because we want her to need to prefer someone smaller. And we want her to know that her needs sometimes are going to become have to come after someone who's younger. And this is where community comes in again mm-hmm. because we want her to be around people who are smaller than she is. So when Larissa brings Serafina mm-hmm. over or when our godson Samuel comes over mm-hmm. or the toddlers that are in her life, we actually, that is, we feel like it, it is great for her to practice giving total preference to someone who's smaller and to their needs. Um and I, I think this is only possible when in the midst of a community because, like you said, you can't always have another baby come along. Although I have to say, my my kids are oftentimes you know saying it's about time. How about it? <laughs> <laughs> so they're and they're so not opposed to us having more kids. And um, but I turned forty two yesterday, so that's why Happy I tell birthday. them. Thank you. It's you know it's slowing down, guys. Yeah. But I realize this is going to require us to constantly be around other ones so Mm -hmm. that we all remain tolerant. Um, We are also a part of a nature study group where there are are little ones even smaller than Lucy. And it it really does. Sometimes I look at her with this total amazement when I think that at her age, when, when my second son, Corbin, was her age, when he was four, he had three younger siblings right. already because they were they were so close, and um, that he you know he's very you know autonomous and confident, and he's he's one of the ones that I think he felt like I'm a man. He, he is <laughs> very manly. I mean, he's very confident. You yes. know, I, I he comes over and cuts the grass like a man, and he's trimmy, and he comes in and has a great conversation. So he's. It's got a lot yes. of great qualities. Yeah. yeah. We have some, Karen and I have always had some really good Enneagram conversations. So he, he's an eight. Mm. And I have I have all these different kids, but they are one thing that we're wanting them to all have across the board is that can-do attitude right. and, and willingness to jump in. So right. The act, the, the, the kindness and the virtue, it spans all the Enneagram. Right. I mean, people yep. say nines mm-hmm. are kind or whatever, but really the virtues should yes, should be in all of them. Yeah. All of the personality types. Um, um, talk about, um, you mentioned to me that you were something simple. You were walking down the street and you were having to go slow. And so you, you encouraged your son you know, to walk beside you. Talk about that a little bit because it's just a very, very small but very practical way of communicating with your child. Hey, you need to think about somebody else. So talk, tell me, tell us that story. Okay. Um, my 14-year-old and I were walking down Union Street in Concord, which is like Main Street in most, most other small towns. And he was going a good bit faster than I was. And I was wearing some kind of nice shoes and I, I told him, you should slow down and walk alongside me because at my age, of course, I'm going to be slower than you are. And I said, and imagine if my mother, your Mama Mac is what they call her, if Mama Mac were here, she would be 
half as my speed. She would be going much slower. And I said, and imagine if Nanny, um, Mama Mac's mother, if she were here, she would be going half the speed of Mama Mac. And so we talked about how living with all people of all ages, if, well, even if you're walking with a toddler, you're not going to mm-hmm. be going the speed of a teenager. So that you know, awareness of I, I need to change my expectations according to where how old people are and their ability. And, you know, I was trying to help him be aware that he's in the prime of his life. Not everyone is. <laughs> Certainly not me. <laughs> and that's, that's such a simple example of teaching them, of training them to be unselfish in just such a simple thing as the as the pace that you're walking to modulate yourself to match the people around you out of because that's kind yeah i mean that, that is that's so beautiful and and i i think that in our culture you know just the way just the way our culture is these days that that's not really said very often yeah. i'm i expect and it's hard when you're not living around all the generations in your family which we you know, we've been we've moved around when we were in the military. My husband's no longer in the military, but living far from your grandparents and your great grandparents, you end up not getting as much practice as if you were all living in the same in the community same, or in the same house as it used to yes. be. Yes, you know, grandparents, yes. grandparents, and some with dementia or whatever. You know, ailments yes. living in your home, and they have to help. Yes, and so it's a great reminder to be purposeful about that. You know, with our with our children, I love that. And then um, you also mentioned to me that maybe some of some of this comes because your love language is acts of service. Yes, I that's my primary one, and maybe I tend to encourage that more in my kids because I I speak that. Um, it has helped me to to acknowledge other people's love languages and realize, you know, how to speak love to my different children it needs to look different so i've i've had to work on that because i i you know i tend to speak love to my family in a way that they may not be hearing hmm. but the good reminder but yeah, yeah acts of services and quality time are my two main ones and so i sometimes you want to serve people and and my husband and i were talking about this cuz Recently, he wanted to help a friend with some with something, and that friend absolutely wouldn't allow it. Just said, mm. "No, I, I I'll do it on my own. I'm fine." Mm. And there has to be a willingness on right. the part of the people that you you see they need help. They have to be willing to accept the help. And I think that is one way that my incompetence <laughs> when I was a newlywed and not knowing how to cook and keep house. And just walking into it blindly, watching other people around me and realizing I'm missing a lot. I, I, there's there's a lot I don't know. I, I really need to I need to learn to do what these other women seem to have just walked into marriage knowing. Um, maybe seeing that I just couldn't do all this, especially when the kids were closer and closer together. That made me willing to accept people's help. And I think if I had felt like, no, I got this. I am every everything's under control. Mm-hmm. I would have probably I would have probably pushed away help. Yeah, and um, you you would have missed out on that experience of of receiving so mm-hmm. that you could give. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say that I have having uh, there are times in my life where I think having felt a need myself, then I could see it in other people later when they were in the same position. If I had never been sick as a, in all those pregnancies, if I had not experienced what I did, I probably would have been oblivious to other women who were going through it and what they might be feeling. I think I'm so hard-headed that God has mm-hmm. to actually put me in situations and say, do you see how hard this is? And then once I'm out of it, I can see another person's need. Um, but I think it it took all that for me to to see the next person. Like when all of mine were little, and I just felt like I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. Yeah. That you know, feel like you're surrounded all the time, and that it's overwhelming. Um, then we, there, my kids and I, when we see at church or when we're places with our friends and someone just needs a moment of refreshment. They want, Mm -hmm. they need someone to hold 
their toddler yeah. or their baby so that they can just catch their breath. Had I not been there at one time, I would probably wouldn't even see just how in need, like at church when you your kids are with you and you didn't get enough sleep and they are so active right. and you, you're not worshiping, you know, oftentimes mm-hmm. you're barely able to hang in there. I can so feel their pain. And so I see maybe what other people who have not actually been right there in that predicament. Um, I mean, it is a blessing of a predicament, but it, sometimes it does feel like, oh, I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not woman enough for this. <laughs> Those are the times where I want to step in and say, okay, we need, we need to take that child from them and let them just get a breather. Yeah. So I think it just takes. And, that. and I, I love how you said a moment ago, you said a moment of refreshment. Because that's what service can be to other people. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a physical act. You're doing something with your body and yeah. your resources to serve other people. But ultimately, yeah. what you're doing is you're giving them a refreshment in their soul. Yes. And, and that's, that's so big. And it's not trivial at all, you know, yeah. whatever small things. So, so I want to ask this question. What, are, what have been some of the things that you have done as a family or with some of your children? Um, I mentioned simple things, opening the door at church for people coming in. Um, what are some of the things that, that you have done as a family or with some of your kids for other people? Um, well, we, we, when we make... Um, when it's our turn to make a meal at church, I divide it up among all my kids and they each have their own bit that they're responsible for. And then we just, the whole thing together, you know, we're, we bring, we collectively bring it to church. And that's just one of the That's such a great things. example. It's a simple example of how can I get my kids involved in service? Well, when you are doing potluck at church and you're making the meal, mm-hmm. don't don't have the um, martyr complex of mom is so busy. I've got to do all this. You know, you yes. kids stay out of my way because I am making a meal to take to church. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You say you help. This is your job. You right. do this. And that means you can't be perfectionist about it mm-hmm. because you're going to get the skill of a 12 year old yes. or a 10 year old or mm-hmm. the celery might not all be chopped totally uniform, you know, wh- yes. whatever you're doing. <laughs> so there's a lot that, that you have to process yeah. to get your kids helping. But that's that's one great example of no, you know let go of the martyr complex and get them working with you. Yes. So so you have your meals at church. What else? What else? Um, also, you know, there was a time um, when some friends, they're friends now, but we didn't actually know them when they moved here. Um, they moved to town, and they were friends of my husband's sister in Atlanta, and their house contract fell through when they were moving here. Because we had an extra space, we had an extra room, and we had actually a room that we were able to move a bed into, we were able to just say, move in with us until you find another house. And that, and my my children, I told them, I said, you know, they have two small girls, and they are, they are so similar in size that it's almost like twins. And I just told the kids, whenever they need us to just take one of them and, you know, give the mom, my friend Teal now, I can say we're still friends after living together for six weeks, which is <laughs> that's pretty incredible. If you come to our house for six weeks, you may not want to speak to us after that. But even though it was craziness, we just um, wanted to come in there and, and take something out of our arms if we could to to help with the whole chaotic transition. Um, and that is, that's something that we've seen. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes when we have offered that room to people who needed it for a time, I think there is sometimes in our culture, like a some people, I wonder if they think it's creepy because they are kind of like, well, you don't even know me. This is very mm-hmm. strange. And they won't accept it. Right. But that's just one of the, the ways but you've offered we have and offered sincerely offered and you yes. would welcome them and yeah. um, but you also have to be a very tolerant of noise if you come to our house yeah. <laughs> and some people i think they probably know that mm-hmm. and so they haven't they haven't accepted but we we have wanted over over time to try to refresh people who are um i guess in really in the thick of things when when rebecca was um 
she was pregnant and she was in that dark time yeah, where you can't keep any dark, food down. Um, we were, she had mentioned some uh, play kitchen that was on Pinterest that she had seen that she had wanted to make for her kids. And I just showed it to Trevor and he said, I can make that out of pallet wood. So he got in the garage and it only took him like two hours. And we had this play kitchen made out of pallet wood. And he, he said, well, let's take it over and put it in their backyard. That's wonderful. And so I think that only because I had once been there, could I see what that, it was like it's like a dark tunnel during that time yes, when you is. think you th- you're thinking the whole time, please, Lord, I don't want to be sick longer than all the other pregnancies because you kind of have your your eyes on that light at the end of the tunnel, and so it. I guess when it's things like that where we can, with it's within our power, um, the the food bank at our church mm-hmm. is That's in constant yeah. need of groceries. And I'm one of those <laughs> unique people who actually loves couponing and getting a good deal on you groceries. You can go to the store and get money back. Somehow or another, you buy things and they pay you to buy them. Yes. Sometimes <laughs> when the deals are really good, I can I can be paid to buy something. And in those cases, um, it may not be something that our family loves, but if I can get a good deal on it and it and and it's just a good time, sometimes it kind of goes in cycles. Mm-hmm. We just load up, and I keep a box in the trunk of our big van, and it's labeled food bank, and our kids just keep taking bags of groceries and stick them in there. So that's always on your mind. Yes. So you've got, okay, you've got making meals, you've got giving space in your house, you've got using your tools and your resources and your skills to make things, you've got collecting food, and I know, you know, any anything else come to mind? Moving people? Yeah, and... And my boys, my older boys now have a um, a yard business where they can do yard work for people. Um, that is, I mean, it's paying them well. Sure, so and it's I, like I a use business. them. And anybody who's local <laughs> listening to this, you need to use the Dick's boys to do your yes. yard because my boys have grown up and moved out and it's too hot. And I broke my yes. foot. So I, yes. and my husband's mm-hmm. gone so much. So mm-hmm. I use the Dick's boys, use them. <laughs> and I, I've tried to tell the boys at times, okay, we're going to go do this yard and it may or may not pay you. But if this is, there are families that just, their yards have gotten out of control Mm -hmm. and they may need help. And, um, you know, if, if it's someone who, well, like you have a broken foot, that right there, you should play that card. <laughs> oh, I do sometimes. <laughs> it's getting better. <laughs> so, uh, because they're boys, and we've always really wanted them to be to see that they are, are capable of doing real men's work. Those are the kind of things that we we want them to be willing to jump up. L- mm-hmm. Like you and I were talking mm-hmm. about reading Jaber Crow, right. and how in the beginning of the book when he's working at the stables his attitude was i got that i can do that I, he jumped up to do every available job and that Are you is talking about little britches oh well in jaber crow we, we it was the the beginning of the book when he his attitude it when he's trying to get work. Oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. And that was right. his jumping up. Right. But we are reading Little Britches to right. the kids that, right now. We had talked about that, yes. too, so that's why I was confused. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's an important part. I, I was just sort of brainstorming some of the books that we've read to our kids over the years. I, I really think have led up to this right. point. Um, we do tend to read old books mm-hmm. to our kids, um, and we see that there is a work ethic there that is— hard to find in more recent books. And um, and we were also talking about how in Close Reads in their discussion mm-hmm. of Little Britches, how they were talking about the afterword. It's not in my copy, but when David read it and it said that Ralph Moody, when he wrote Little Britches series, um, he was writing it as a result of seeing the changing attitudes in the young people about work or having their own farm, their own home. And I know that, like Adam Andrews was <laughs> saying, that maybe reading this to our children with a motive, like wanting them to have right. a good work ethic, is not the the best 
motive for reading them books, but I confess I was yeah. I'm pretty happy. Well, it does to... stimulate the imaginations of these of these boys. Yes. Right. To work. You don't have mm-hmm. to read it and say, Now you need to do this mm-hmm. too. You need to you know right. you need to work hard too. Yes. When we really know that there's nothing besides cutting the grass that they can work hard at. <laughs> but you know, it does stimulate their imaginations to what what they what the potential yes. for hard work is in them, yes. in their body and in their soul mm-hmm. and in their mind. That, and, wow, they could really be doing more than they are. Mm. And it really does take them looking beyond here and now. They Looking back at what men were expected to do before, and they realize, I can do that. But most people don't expect it anymore. Right. So the, we accidentally, when we first um, heard about Little Britches, we didn't mean to, but we started with the second book, Man of the Family. And I have to say, it was it was perfect timing, though. My, my kids saw what, as the man of the family, what he was doing at 11 years old. And my boys were inspired. They saw it and they they thought, look at that now. And, you know, and even one of my favorite books we've talked about, A Girl the Limmer Lost. Yeah. The way that in that one, Elnora, she uses whatever resources around her in order to um, fund her education. Right. That kind of work ethic... There's so many books that we've just over the years loved, and almost all of them are old books. I'm I'm trying to think of probably the only one that's not an old book that we read to the kids, and this is not fiction, but is Boyhood and Beyond by Bob Schultz. And it, it was just a book I read to them in morning time, chapter by chapter, about just this transition from being a boy to being a man and taking on the responsibilities and serving your sister in preparation mm-hmm. for you know, learning how to treat a lady. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever, do, or does Trevor ever say, you know, you need, you guys need to treat Judah well because someday, you know, well, you're learning, you're yes. learning about girls, you're learning yes. about women, and someday you're going to need to treat your wife well. So treat Judah differently than you treat your brothers. Yes, Is that a, absolutely. Sure because there's a, a lot of roughhousing that goes yeah. on in our family, and I, I know that some, probably some ladies would probably think this is not very. Um, I don't know, but it politically, politically correct. correct. Yeah, yeah. But modern, we, we do not want them to treat Judah and Lucy just like they're one of the guys because right. they just might get pummeled. Right. So, so do you? Do they? Do they have opportunities to serve each other? Like we've talked a lot about all the things that you do in your family to serve, you know, um, other other people, other families. Mm-hmm. What? What? How can your How can your kids serve each other? Well, I think for one thing, um, we, okay, chores and the division of labor in our home has always been extremely important. Um, but they also have to, whenever, say, my two older boys have jobs, and if they have to step out, the rest of my kids know, okay, we're going to do their, their share of the work. Mm-hmm. Or um, Trevor takes our older three boys to the, men's rescue mission in Charlotte one Saturday a month with their church. So you have to be a teenager to do that. So our younger ones are just too young. But since he takes the older three boys to the the mission. Right? Yes. I mean, there are Mm -hmm. multitude of things you guys do. (laughs) And when they step out and they they are gone to do that, I tell the kids, now they are serving the community and we are going to do all of their work because you know we're not going to wait leave their work to wait for them and so they're serving the older ones while the older ones are serving the community um and also the we've had a couple of birthdays in the past few weeks and this is just a you know an infrequent way they serve each other but the birthday boy or girl doesn't have to do any chores Mm -hmm. so everyone does what they can to serve them and We'd and and when you say chores, do they get an allowance for that, or do no. they serve? Do they serve because they live in the house? Yes, and they're a member of the community and the family. Yes, and so do do you ever give them spending money? 
We don't give for, them spending money. We let them earn spending money by doing extra, extra things, jobs extra things. that are more yeah. like a project. Right. Um, so just, and according to their age, so my seven-year-old Noble, the other day, he wanted to earn a dollar, and I said, well, the grill on the back deck is covered in all sorts of things you don't want to mm-hmm. know about, because we have lots of trees and lots of birds. And that, so I said, you can go out there, and if you will clean the outside of the grill, um, I will, I'll pay you a dollar. And I had to, I had right. to check it a couple of times mm-hmm. and have it. Oh, you and it doesn't some. hurt to come to, to bring him back, right? And say, oh, yes. look at this. We need to, we need exactly. to touch this up and, or do this again. Right. Because it's all training. Yeah. And, and teaching. And sometimes they need a little redo or a reminder. Yes. And, but the chores, I know that there are different schools of thought on this. We have always, um, given them chores as, um, because they're part of our family. Mm-hmm. We want them to feel that competence to do the things that when I first married Trevor, I felt so incompetent. Right. And in, and especially in a, in a situation where if I stepped, when I was at someone else's home, and I would hang back while they're cooking, and I would think, I don't even know what to do to help. I would be standing back feeling like, I'm not very well prepared for this, so I would just be in their way. And I could see, I, I remember watching one time my friend Laura, um, her teenage daughter Prairie was in my kitchen during a pot, like it was a whole church thing. I remember watching Prairie and thinking, she is so at home in my kitchen doing all the little things, just doing the next thing, whatever needed right. doing. And I thought to myself, that's what I want my kids to be. I want them to be able to see something, take initiative, and do it, and not always be hanging back and feeling that you may be the that's wrong great. thing to and do. That's, and that do the next thing, you mm-hmm. know, that is yes. something that a lot of us, a lot of our listeners, use as a mantra. When yeah. you're overwhelmed, when mm-hmm. everything's falling apart in your house and you've got company coming, what do you do? You do one thing. And, yes. you know, that's what we do. We, we, we I know I... I Loved that phrase, and I it was <laughs> life giving to me on many a day. Do just do the next thing, do one thing. Yes. but it's the doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not oh look at that next thing or think about that next thing or read about that next thing. It's do that next thing, and that's that's what service yes. to, to others is all about. And there is a certain like you were saying earlier that you have to let them do it, but not be um uh, you. You can't be a perfectionist right. or demand that they do it as well as maybe you mm-hmm. yourself would. You can try, but that would be, you would might lead yourself down mm-hmm. a frustrating pl- path if you were to always expect that. I have over the years just had to bring down my standards to where it is at a more reasonable level, mm-hmm. just so I'm not always frustrated. I can remember when Trevor was deployed and all I had was one toddler. I just remember everything was so perfect because there were no oxen to make the manger right. dirty. You know? <laughs> right. uh, Proverbs 14. It, it, was the, it w- was me trying to keep this Perfection. I would even not cook anything for me and Harrison because I didn't want to make the kitchen dirty. And now I've just decided, you know what? If I'm going to work myself out of a job and let them take over mm-hmm. more of the responsibilities, I have to realize that this is this is a more a reality that we can live yeah. with. And you know what? People often ask me because my kids are grown and you know they're between the ages of 32 and 24. And they'll say, what do you wish you'd done differently? And that's what I always say. I always say, I wish that I had taken the time because it took time because I could clean really fast mm-hmm. um, to be more deliberate in when they're little getting them involved in things, in teaching them things in the kitchen. Now, you know, all my kids, mostly all my kids love to cook, but Mm. I didn't take advantage of that when they were little. That's a skill that they've all developed since they've grown up. And I, (laughs) I just think, wow, I really, I really should have done better at that. Making them, um, you know, there were things that, you know, they, they made their beds or whatever, most days, some days, but there, I, I didn't capitalize enough mm-hmm. on their help because a, there was so much to do. I could do it faster and it required taking the time to teaching them to do it. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get done, yeah. you know? And mm-hmm. so that's what I would, 
I look yes. back on and think, could have done that better. I could have made use of all that energy instead of sending them outside. Mm-hmm. Go outside so I can clean. What was I thinking? Yeah. I should yeah. put my mm-hmm. <laughs> help me clean and then we'll all go inside. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's that's definitely something that I wish I'd I'd done better. I think that kind of comes down to I don't know how this is going to sound, but maybe I was willing to have them do some of my work. It might have originally been kind of selfish. I really felt like I have all that I can do, and anything that I can delegate means that there are the things, these things are the ones that only I can do. Anything I can delegate, I'm going to delegate it. But um, partly, I it was also because we. You know, we felt like this is, um, well, we had a hobby farm before we moved mm-hmm. here, and we had so much extra work just to milk the cow twice a day, you know, feed all the chickens and gather eggs and, you know, clean mm-hmm. things. And we had goats, and there was a lot of extra work that if I hadn't have delegated it, um, we really would have just fallen way behind. Right. And that was actually a struggle when we moved here six years ago. And we moved here for Trevor's work. My older boys had to leave behind outdoor work that was, you know, animal husbandry. And then I had to do this, like, all of a sudden, this major shift. What can I give them to do indoors that I used to do? Because... I'm not just going to let there be this vacant time for where they used to have those jobs. And so I just shifted things around. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually constantly shifting them because as Noble is seven and now he can unload the dishwasher, mm-hmm. I take the job from Christian and then I give Christian the job that Judah had. Right. And I'm just And as they it. stair step out of the house, yes. you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be maybe that'll... Right be the thing that saves Lucy is she'll have to do it all. It's like, I know you're the princess, but you have to make the meal and do the dishwasher. Yes. yes. And Harrison and Corbin having jobs outside of the house now, um, they do have to step in and they have to take over theirs. And then it's this constant moving around. Um, I do think, though, that Lucy having so many people in the house who are already doing so many things it is more difficult to find the things that she can do she that can aren't do. taken already. Yeah. So that's one of the... We just passed down the mowing of the grass, the front yard with the push mower to my 10-year-old Christian. Mm-hmm. But I had, to, I had to let my 13-year-old Finn take time with Christian to show, to him, show him how to yeah. do it. These are yeah. the wonderful benefits, A, of a large family. Yes. And B, of homeschooling. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you've got the time, you've got them around all day, and they're not age segregated. Yeah, at mm-hmm. school, you know, you're together, and so you have the opportunity to train, and to teach, and to be mm-hmm. together, to serve each other, and to serve other people in the community. Yeah, yeah. I I need I need more time than most people to do things. <laughs> I think it takes me longer. So I appreciate having them home with me during the day. It is. Um, it gives us more time to do all these things, but they it has also allowed them to have a home business. It's mm-hmm. allowed them the time that they that they need even to just um, to do what they can or in our neighborhood, you know, we have neighbors and I, I feel like that if we were away from each other for the most of every day, there would be so much less opportunity and time for them to even learn how to be competent in the home. Right. Because when they got home, it would be like time, supper time. They would need to do their homework. And, you know, yes, it would, that is true. Mm-hmm. That is very true. And then you're also, you are growing young men and young women who will be very competent in their jobs. And so, you know, if, if, your kids go out and they work at Harris Teeter at the grocery store or mm-hmm. or they they go work for a yard mm-hmm. grooming company. What do we call those? You know? Yes. Yeah. Landscaping. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, whatever they do, because they can work hard, they'll be able mm-hmm. to transfer that virtue, that yeah. character quality that you are um, making sure they are learning and they can take that skill yes. with them into into life and into their own into their own marriages and families and into their job it's it's really really important yeah. what you're doing 
We've been reading um, The Wise Woman by George MacDonald. Mm-hmm. And um, and since it's beautiful and it's spring, some days during morning time, we just take that and we go on the back deck and we just read a few chapters of that. And we, it has actually been so instructive like to us about our attitude about whatever work God puts before us, even if it is at Harris Teeter, if it's whatever kind of labor it is, that what our attitude should be and how well it should be done. And um, I just, I loving that story. And yeah, with joy and with kindness. Yes. And, Mm -hmm. And so whether you're washing a table at church after coffee hour, you know, you do it well and you do it thankfully and you do it with joy and you, you know, and you can be kind to the, to the people that you're serving. Yeah, and they, there are a, a few of the um, Bible verses in morning time that my kids have memorized over time that have, um, that have been good reminders of just stepping in um, to refresh others, um, like. Proverbs eleven twenty five is he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Mm. We have just been trying over the years to put some poetry to memory and Bible verses and things that I think have helped over time my kids to just say, whatever the work is, it must be done with a great attitude. And that's been some of the, I tend to lean towards poetry that that mm-hmm. says that I'm, yeah. I'm, and once again, that might show that I have a motive. I'm just <laughs> well, you're using it as a tool, for yes, training. And, and you're also enjoying it for poetry's yeah. sake. But yeah, yeah, and I think I think most of all, knowing your family, that it's you know your children are are um, being inspired by you too, and and learning by imitating. You and Trevor. And so um, we probably should wrap this up because we've been talking for almost an hour or maybe a little over an hour. And it's been wonderful. I want to thank you. And um, do you have any final final encouragement for a young mom? Let's say a young mom whose kids are under five. And um, where does it start? Where Mm -hmm. where? What what's one thing that they can do even today or tomorrow okay. with their with their kids who you know sometimes four and five year olds can be selfish and it's yes. we in my family used to call that child the all mine bunny because we had this little series <laughs> of books and one one was a bad little bunny and everything was all mine so you know for the mom who has an all mine bunny yes what can what's the one thing that they can okay. take away well I would say that for your oldest one think about what is it they are capable of doing. Um, Long ago, we moved all of our dishes down to the bottom cabinet so that the younger ones could unload the Mm. dishwasher straight to the bottom cabinet. And if it was a cup, it's, you know, up higher. But we were trying to make it so that the heavier things are right there. If you can somehow... Um, alter things so that they can do it. We used to only buy vacuum cleaners that weighed less than 10 pounds so that our kids Ah, could just do it and it wouldn't be this big cumbersome thing. And we have at times um, done what Andrew Pudua talks about. His kids used to have one. They would um, read to a younger one. Um, We have at different points when my older ones weren't already working outside the house, we um, would make a schedule where the 10-year-old could read just a basic beginning reader kind of book to the Mm four-year-old. And we would set them up like that into pairs so that an older one could read to a younger one whatever was above their reading level, but they really wanted to to have read. And that was a way that they could serve them. And we've also at times had to experiment with different combinations of uh, playtime between a toddler and an older sibling so that we could, um, I could have time to teach, you know, maybe the second oldest. And we've done different combinations over the years of them together so that they can, um, I could get something, some one on one time, but also to teach them to serve a younger sibling. 
right now, my 12-year-old daughter, um, she thinks this is the best job out there. After lunch every day, her job is to put her four-year-old, our four-year-old daughter, Lucy, down for a nap. Mm -hmm. The reason why that's the best job is because all she has to do is make Lucy go to the bathroom, read her a book, and just read it to her. And and Lucy will lie down in the bed, and Judo will just sit there and read a book and kind of make sure Lucy settles down. All the rest of the kids have to do like clean up clean chores. Up yeah, yeah, so she's got the good one. But that's but great because it's a nourishing, nurturing thing. Yes. That someday she's going to have to, yes. and she's going to remember that. She's when she has a four year old, she's going to remember. I learned this from my mom. You yes. know, mm-hmm. I learned this with my sister. It's a great sister. Mm-hmm. Little sister, big sister bond. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for um, being on here today and talking with me about how we can purposely create a culture of service and love and kindness in our homes to our family members and to the community outside. So, Christina, thank you so very much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And next week, I will be um, talking with Renee Mathis, and we will be talking about creating a culture um, of love in our homes through food and tradition and how we can minister to our families and purposely create a culture in our homes through food and tradition. So stay tuned for that, and um, thank you all for listening.